It's all just a story. Our brains are so powerful and ultras have taught me that over and over again, the strength of our brains, our attitude, like what we are thinking and telling ourselves during tough moments. And we're all capable of more than we think. And we sometimes just have to do the crazy thing and see what happens because why not? What is going on, everyone? I'm Clay Skipper, and you are listening to Farewell. If you are looking for the Growth Equation podcast, fear not. This is the Growth Equation podcast. We're just relaunching it as Farewell, and I will get into more of that in just a second. But I think the most important thing to say off the bat is that we have a killer interview today with Courtney DeWalter, whose voice you just heard there at the top of the show. So I'm going to spend a few minutes giving you some context for Courtney's story, and giving you a little bit of context for how the show is changing. But if you've already heard that spiel, and you already know who Courtney is and know her story well, and you want to skip ahead to get to her to hear more of her great insights, please do that. I will not be offended. So the show. Basically, we are relaunching and renaming the show because we are committed to making it bigger and better. But it is still guided by the same principle, which is performance. It's about helping you guys perform your best on the things you care about most. So how we're going to break this down is you're going to be getting two episodes per week. One is going to be a longer episode, and that will either be the roundtables with Brad and Steve that you've come to know and love, or there will be interviews like today's show. And then once a week, you will also be getting something called The Coach Up, which is a 10 to 15 minute episode, and it's basically a one-on-one coaching session that either comes from Brad or Steve or the guest and it's delivering to you a specific insight, tool, or strategy and how to apply it to your life. So one longer episode, one bite-sized episode. If you don't want to miss any of that, just make sure you subscribe now to Farewell so that every week as this stuff rolls out, boom, just lands straight in your feed. Now, as for Courtney, I'm super stoked that this is the premiere because I think it is the perfect episode for all of the principles and things we talk about so often here at The Growth Equation. So Courtney's background, she grew up a runner and a skier. She did Nordic skiing or cross-country skiing in college. And then at some point after she graduated, she basically asked herself, could I run a road marathon? She said she wanted to try it because she wanted to figure out if she could do it. And then when she did do it, it raised this question in her, which was, what else could I try that sounds too hard that I might be able to do? And she basically spent the last 11, 12 years answering that question and has led her to become one of the greatest endurance athletes and ultra runners of all time. She's done an insane amount of remarkable things in her career, uh, including one thing that people often cite is 2017 after she quit her job as a science teacher and dedicated herself to ultra running full time. She won the Moab 240. That's a 240 mile race by 10 hours. So she beat all female and male participants by 10 hours. And then this summer, she achieved what I would consider one of the greatest athletic accomplishments, certainly one of the greatest endurance accomplishments of all time, which is that she ran three of the most iconic 100-mile races in 10 weeks. She set course records on two of them and won all three of them. So that would be Western States on June 24th, the Hard Rock 100 on July 14th, and then UTMB on September 1st. And the craziest thing about all of this is that Courtney was only planning on running the first two, so Western States and Hard Rock. And then after she finished Hard Rock, she noticed that she wasn't feeling so bad. So she figured, why not try UTMB? She actually says that today. She says, let's see what happens. What can we learn? And I think that's why I'm so excited about this episode. Because if this is a show about performance and getting you to perform better, I think Courtney's approach is really illuminating because it's all about curiosity. You'll hear her talk a lot today about problem solving because when you're running a really long race, problems often come up. And Courtney, when problems come up, her solutions are always curiosity-driven. So she doesn't get emotional about it. She doesn't freak out. She doesn't panic. She just gets curious. I think that's something we can all learn from. And Courtney has put together a, what she calls her filing cabinet of strategies and tools and things to use when problems come up. And I think that you will find what's in that filing cabinet helpful and useful and accessible to you, no matter what you do, 
whether it's running ultras or just trying to get through any day. I've used so many of these strategies since I interviewed her in November, and I'm not somebody who's running 240-mile races. The other thing I think you'll get from the episode today is this contagious self-belief. I've been interviewing athletes for a decade now, and I've never sat across from someone as impactful or as affecting as Courtney. In fact, the night after I spoke to her, I signed up for a 50-mile race. And I know it's easy to sign up for a 50-mile race and harder to run a 50-mile race, so we can check back in on that. But the point is, Courtney has this really effervescent personality and this super, super contagious self-belief. She has proven that she can do really hard things, and she's going to make you believe that you can too. And to that point... We started this conversation talking about a 100K that she ran with her mom. I want to start with the 100K you just did with your mom. That looked awesome. How uh, how was that experience? It was incredible. A highlight of the year, a highlight of my life for sure. Um, a few years ago, I had been asked who in the world I would love to run an ultra with. And my answer had been my mom. She didn't run trails. She didn't run ultras. But she called me up and she was like, I heard that you want to run an ultra with me. Let's do it. And um, I was like, wait, seriously? We're like, And she gave me this gift of uh, training for and preparing herself to do an ultra with me, which is the most special thing to share. Um but we tried one last fall, a 50-mile race in Minnesota, and we ended up getting cut off for time mm. at one of the aid stations. It was a great experience. We loved every minute of it. And along the way and afterwards, reflecting, it was like, there's so many things to learn and so many things we could try to do better. And my mom was like, you know, just figuring out how to run trails and the nutrition and the gear and all of these pieces. So she's like, we're not done. We got to try another one together. And so that led us to this 100K last week. It was the Havelina 100K in Arizona. Absolutely like the most wonderful day out on the trails with her. It was so cool. That's amazing. So at the very beginning, you said that she said to you, I heard you want to run with me. So this isn't, she heard it through like a third party. She didn't even hear it from you directly. Well, I, it had been one of those questions. I don't know if it was in a podcast or an article or something where someone just threw it at me, like wondering yeah. who in the whole world, you know, anyone in history, who would you want to run with? And when my answer was my mom, yeah, I hadn't thought to like tell her that I was just um, feeling lucky that my parents come and like crew me at these races, you know, but to throw a 50 mile race on her lap felt like a lot. It's amazing. <laughs> it was so cool. Yeah. I, uh, will never forget it. So like who is teaching who out there, right? Cause you're obviously like the ultra extraordinaire, but then mom's mom. So I'm curious who's like, who's mothering who out on the trail. <laughs> Uh, you'd probably have to ask her what she thinks, but I think it was back and forth for sure. And also just like spending the day together and this is what we're doing and it will take as long as it takes and we'll work our way through any of those low points. And, um, she, I mean, it was hard. A hundred kilometers is no joke. And so it was a three loop race and the third loop of 20 miles was, that's a lot. It was, it got tough out there and it was dark, but she was so strong and just kept moving forward, kept eating snacks. It was like so special because it was my mom, but also because it's the sport that I love so much. And I was getting to share that with her, this person that I love so much and like bring it all together, you know? Yeah, that's wonderful. From what I can tell from watching the the YouTube videos on you and hearing you speak, like your parents have a very have had a very profound impact on you. And obviously they're all they're at your races a lot of the times. What do you think is a like early lesson or a lesson from your childhood that they taught you that you draw on a lot? Probably um that it doesn't matter how you do what the end result is, as long as you give it your absolute best. 
It was always the message we got through schooling, through any sports we did, even like uh, relationships, whatever. You know, it was like, if you're giving it everything you have and it's your absolute best effort at it and it, you know, doesn't go the way you thought it would, that's okay. Uh, just make sure that when you do things, you do them as well as you can. Mm. Will your dad get competitive now? He'd be like, well, now I got to get out there and do Oh, man. That would be the coolest. Wait, ask me the question of who I want to run with next. Yeah. Who would you want to run an ultra with next? I think my dad. We got to do that. All right. We got to send him this right after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I heard you want to run with me. This is going to be great. And then next they're going to run together and be like, we don't need you anymore, actually. Yeah, perfect. Um, I want to talk about your incredible three-peat this summer. Uh, or what, I mean, what do you, what do you refer to it as? I mean, some people are called the triple crown. I'm curious <laughs> how you think of it. Uh, I don't know that I refer to it as anything, but, um, if I do, I probably just say like the triple, like yeah, the three the races together. And for me in my head, the triple is just doing them. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like completing all three of those in one summer. Yeah. And I heard you say that you wanted to do it because you just wanted to like learn from it. You wanted to see what it, what it was like, which I, I will get into that. Cause I think that like approaching your races with a curiosity is such an interesting way to go into it. But I'm curious what you did learn from it. I'm sure you learned many things, but what were some of the key takeaways from that experience? The, the biggest puzzle piece I wanted to play with this summer was the recovery bit physically and mentally. Um, just because of how close the races were stacked together and how I would be fully immersed in recovering a lot of the summer. I wanted to uh, focus on that as like, what can I learn about recovery from this experience that I can now apply to other things? And there was nothing groundbreaking. It was a lot of like resting and eating and like moving slowly as my body let me, but never forcing anything. Um, so I don't know that I like discovered anything new, but I did um, experience a lot of new, like condensed amounts of recovery, which I think just gathering evidence and, you know, life experiences can teach us so much when we then encounter stuff again later down the line. So I know that I filled, you know, a folder in my filing cabinet of my brain about recovery that I can draw on later. Um, and then also just like reiterated, I think this summer that we're all capable of more than we think. And mm -hmm. we sometimes just have to do the crazy thing and see what happens because <laughs> why yeah. not? Yeah. You've, just to get some context, people listening who may not know, I mean, you ran, I think if these dates are right, you ran Western States on June 24th, set a course record, 100 mile race. Then 20 days later, July 14th, Hard Rock 100, you won again, set a course record. And then at the end of August, so that would have been like six, six, seven weeks, you, you then ran and won UTMB. So like three races, three months, 300 miles like 25,000 feet of elevation gain. I think it's just like kind of unfathomable and yet you did it. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> so, um, I want to go to the filing cabinet. Cause that is like, you've, I've heard you talk about that before. And I think it's such a cool image image. Can you explain what the filing cabinet is and how you came to that imagery? Yeah, I'm a very visual person. And so, um, when I talk about thinking of things or seeing them, I'm actually building those pictures in my brain. For me, the filing cabinet is in my brain and um, full of folders that basically are full of experiences or problems or speed bumps or, you know, whatever it is that I've had along the way. Mostly I think of it during ultras. So it'll be like, folders of problems that come up during these ultra marathons. And so when a problem comes up that's similar, I picture like, check the filing cabinet. What do you already know about this situation? What have you tried before? What has worked or not worked in the past? Like, what are the facts here 
so that we can problem solve efficiently and keep moving forward. Because a lot of these really long races are about problem solving Mm -hmm. and keeping your cool when everything blows up and, you know, nothing is going right. And then finding a way to move forward. And the filing cabinet, I guess, for me, keeps it really factual so that emotions don't play into it. Because when stuff is going wrong, that's for me, the last thing I need is like to be getting emotional about it. I need just the facts of the situation and what I can try to keep fixing it. The other imagery that you have that you've talked about before is this idea of being in the pain cave. And when you get to a place where you just feel like you got nothing left. You imagine yourself hard hat in hand with a chisel sort of getting not, you know, I thought it was interesting on the Ryan holiday podcast, not necessarily exploring the cave, but being in the back of the cave and trying to like chisel out more room, do more than you think you can. Um, Did that, is that imagery? Like, how did that come to you? Is that something you needed image? You conjured that up. It just came to you. I'm curious the sort of like origin story of that visual. I think I had just heard the pain cave reference before, you know, like there's the struggle bus or the hurt mm-hmm. locker, or <laughs> there's so many terms for this same sort of thing. And for some reason, I latched onto the idea of this cave and I could really see it in my mind. Um, but initially I saw it as a place that I didn't want to get to. Mm -hmm. It was this cave that was off in the distance. And like my goal was to train hard enough to never arrive at the pain cave. And if I did arrive at it, to just like buckle in and survive it because arriving at it used to feel like and mean to me that my race was kind of over and I was now in survival mode. Mm -hmm. Um, But I found that visual and that thought to be just really fear-based and um not productive feeling. And so over the past few years, really like the last three or four probably, I've uh, changed the story to be about arriving at the pain cave and like seizing the opportunity that was that's presented in front of us. Like you're doing something cool, you're pushing really hard. And now you get to try to be better for the next time by going into this cave, celebrating all the hard work, but making it bigger so that your capacity for suffering next time is even more than it was before this race. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's become a party in there for me. And I want to arrive at the pain cave every single race. I hope to get there. And then once I get there, I hope to have the strength to go into the very back of it and to make a pile of rubble. I even love the way you talk about it because you said in there like, I, oh, I get to do this. Like just the idea that like, I, not, this isn't a have to do. This is a get to do. This is almost like I'm lucky to be here. Um, yeah. 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 And it, it feels that way um, for sure because you can't. Like just summon the cave. You don't get yeah. to snap your fingers while sitting at, at your dining table and be at the pain cave and have this opportunity of getting better, you know? And yeah. so when I get to it, it does feel like so lucky. And mm. how cool is it that I get to now spend some time in here? Which I also imagine can help with like expectations. Cause I, I can imagine you're running a hundred mile race. You might be like, okay, maybe I'll hit the pain cave at mile 60. But if all of a sudden you hit the pain cave at mile 18 and you're like, oh no, I'm in the pain cave and you go to that fear-based approach, like you said, then now you're in it for 82 miles. But if you get there and you're like, all right, we're here, start the party early, get the chisel out. It can be, I imagine that can lift your spirits in a way that like dreading the pain cave could sort of ruin your whole experience of running the race. A hundred percent. And it's all just a story. Our brains are so powerful and ultras have taught me that over and over again, the strength of our brains, our attitude, like what we are thinking and telling ourselves during tough moments and the imagery. So like the pain cave works for me, but if, if for someone else, a different, different image, you know, is the thing they can latch onto during those hardest moments, then that's perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, we just need 
to like frame it in a way where it's helpful for us when things are hard. Yeah. So did, in between those three races, I mean, obviously the first two between um, Western States and Hard Rock, you had 20 days. So were you doing any running at all or was it just all recovery? And then between Hard Rock and UTMB, like at, I assume at some point you either have the fitness or you don't and you can't really get it in those in between those races. So you're just mostly focusing on recovery or what was that like? Yeah, man, it was a weird summer. <laughs> <laughs> weird is one word for it. Impressive, unbelievable. Those are some others. But you're right. Like there wasn't a lot of time for more training. It almost felt like when Western States started, it pushed over the first domino and the rest of the summer was just going to fall as it did, you know, with like a few things I could control in there, like recovery but there wasn't a lot of time to to rebuild or reset any of the dominoes again. You know, it was like, buckle in, here we go. But I didn't know when I started Western States that I was going to do all three. My initial intent of the summer was to do Western States and Hard Rock. And that was going to be it. Like, just do this double. It was, it sounded super challenging, really uh, intriguing in how close they were, but also how different those 200 mile trail races are. One is pretty quick and hot and runnable and Colorado's hard rock 100 is like high altitude, mountainous, stormy weather, you know, polar opposite of it. So that was my original intent is do these 200 mile races and call it a summer. Um, and so between Western States and Hard Rock, those three weeks went by like a flash. I think the first week I laid on the couch and ate a lot of food. The second week I started getting out for walks and jogs and bike rides and got out my poles and did some hiking um, and tried to just like move the blood a little bit. And then the third week I was down at the next race already, like <laughs> basically having a normal race week week where you just yeah. go for a few jogs and get your race kit ready. So it went by super quick. <laughs> and, um, and then I didn't know that I was going to sign up for UTMB until about two weeks after Hard Rock. I spent those first two weeks after Hard Rock just sitting. I did mm -hmm. pretty much nothing. <laughs> I went biking sometimes. Um, and then I went for a 45 minute jog about two weeks after Hard Rock had ended. And I didn't feel super great, but I also didn't feel terrible. And so I got home from that jog and I told my husband, Kevin, I was like, we have to sign up. We have to wow. find out what happens with one more hundred on the schedule this summer. Let's just see, because we have some weeks, you know, let's have some fun and then find out if it's possible to finish it. And you did it. You not only finished, you won. Yeah. It, so it going was super into, hard. <laughs> yeah. So, so going into it, going into UTMB, I mean, I don't even know if you, it, you have expectations, but I'm curious what you thought going into that race what you thought you might like, did you think you had, a, you might be able to win it? I mean, how, how did it, and then how did it compare to what you thought it was going to be? Almost every single time I probably could say every single time I stand on a start line, uh, I'm not thinking about like what I could have or should have done or, you know, what maybe will happen during the race. All I'm thinking about is giving it everything I have having no excuses lined up to take the easy route out mm. of it and pouring it out on that course that day. So seeing what happens with that. I knew that the, you know, the summer wasn't a perfect build towards UTMB. I knew that I was tired. I knew I had asked a lot of my body and my brain, but standing on that start line, I didn't think of any of that. I didn't want to even acknowledge that I had run Western States or hard rock a few weeks back, you know, it was like 
let's pretend it's a clean slate. Let's pretend, you know, it was a perfect buildup. Why not? Like if you're mentally feeling all of the good things, maybe it will translate to your legs and your feet. Why not give yourself that shot? So that's what I was thinking is like, oh, it's your only hundred of the summer. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's so unbelievable. And I know, um, I mean, you, your humility is so palpable. So I know you always, you you might balk at this question a little bit, but like, <laughs> it's probably hard for you too. Like I'm putting you in a tough spot, but like the thing that's amazing is like some people train the whole year for UTMB, right? And, and, and you're able to do that. And I'm just curious if you have any sense of like, what the difference is like, what, why is it that you're able to do that? Well, I'm the one so far that was crazy enough to try. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see, maybe yeah. some more people will try it. <laughs> That's the classic Courtney uh, humility. I appreciate it. But I see, I, but I get what you're saying. I mean, Roger Bannister breaks the four minute mile, then a bunch of people break it, but I think you might not be giving yourself enough credit there. I don't know, but what I know is it's all really fun for me. Yeah. Like yeah. this pain cave exploration and running and trails and exploring with my feet. Like I love it so much. And I know that the fun in it helps me during yeah. races. And I always like, no matter how bad I'm hurting or how much of a zombie I look like in the tough moments, I am reminding myself like how lucky it is to be out there doing this thing. I love so much. And um, that it's, it can be fun and hurting at the same time. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because I think, um, one of the things that strikes me is that you're doing this thing that's like unbelievably intense, right. And, and yet you can, you carry it with such a sort of joy. Right. And I think that's an interesting juxtaposition. Like when you see from what I've seen, I'm obviously not watching you for a hundred miles. I want to see what's on YouTube. Right. And, but you seem to be pretty chill about it and what you're doing is unbelievably intense. And I'm curious how you think of those two things existing inside of you. Like, are you secretly intense and we just don't see it? Do you see joy and intensity like existing together? I'm curious how you think about that. Those two things. Um, I think, I think joy and intensity can exist together. I'm, I'm not, I don't think like super intense. I am, <laughs> Like to me, it's running, you know, so, yeah. and it's running for a long time. So in general, like there's no need to ever get your pants in a bunch when you're out there for 24 hours. If you're, you know, struggling for a few moments or miles or hours of that, that's okay in the big picture. And keeping that wide frame lens on the whole day for me is important. Um and also it's probably just like part of my, like how I am as a person and how mm -hmm. I problem solve, you know, like none, it's all okay. It's going to be okay. We just will check the filing cabinet, chisel a little here in the pain cave and uh also get some good energy from the people out on course. Like one of the things I really love about this sport is how it, never feels like a race against any other person. It's a race against yourself and against the course and the day. And so everyone out on course is just trying to get that forward momentum going for everybody out there, whether you're a runner or you're crewing somebody else or volunteering at an aid station or just out cheering and giving high fives. It's like, all good energy, all good vibes for everybody because you just want like the whole field to get mm -hmm. to that finish line. Mm. And like when, if someone passes you or you pass somebody on the trail, you know, if they're puking in the bushes or just sitting there on a rock, you know, clearly having a hard time, you'll check with them always. Like, yeah, are you okay? What do you need? How can I help? No, it's not like, you know, sneaking by and yeah. feeling psyched that you just passed someone. It's like this community effort of forward motion. Yeah. It's a, it's a really interesting, it's like, um, it's a very heartening type of competition, right? It's like, it's interesting to see that 
obviously you guys still bring the best out of each other, but it's not about domination in the way that a lot of competition I think is, is usually characterized. Yeah. It's a unique sport. I think in that attitude and that sort of vibe at a race, like even the podium people, if they're passing each other on the trails, you know, we're going to check in and see, you know, do you need a joke? Do you need a pat on the back? <laughs> or I have some snacks. Do you need yeah. any of these things? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what questions did the triple leave you with that you're curious to, to answer next? I mean, definitely what else is possible. And so UTMB was the third one of the summer and I really ran out of gas. I ran out of steam around mile 60 mm. of the race. And so only that, 40 to go, you know, I mean, that's just yeah. a little, little walk down to the convenience store on the corner. That felt like a rough 40. <laughs> <laughs> I could barely pick my feet up off the ground. Like it was, it was hard. Um, so then that leaves questions of like, you know, what are the things along the path towards that mile 60 of UTMB that could be tweaked or played with in the puzzle in order to make the last 40 feel more complete? Like, getting to the finish line in a way that feels more like um a running motion when did you feel back like how long after the race ended were you like all right i can jog again and feel like i i'm, I'm a human again <laughs> it took a while and yeah. uh longer than races ever take me to come back from i think basically for the month of september i just like melted into our couch and didn't emerge from it for the entire time. <laughs> I was so tired. My body, it was almost like everything had been holding on and giving mm. me that one more thing. And once I finished the third hundred, like the balloon deflated, you know, it was like, we can yeah. let go now. We can stop holding on. And so it was a full systems, just like decompression. It felt like. Is there an emotional, like an emotional come down with that as well? Yeah, probably a little bit, um, but definitely a mental come down mm -hmm. from it. Mm -hmm. Like my brain felt exhausted. I was like, don't ask me hard questions. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I tried not to do very much thinking for a while. It was yeah. kind of like a pudding pile was inside my skull <laughs> for a bit. You had that smooth brain. Yeah. yeah. You'd Ooh, earned it. You'd earned it. I like that, though. Smooth brain makes it sound cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chill brain, chill brain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to ask you about your, um, I mentioned it earlier, but your curiosity. Cause even in talking to me, you've said like explore a few times and I've loved in the past when you said, you know, when I'm on the start line, I'm just kind of like, I want to see what happens. I'm curious. I didn't mean to do that, but I did now I'm going to say, I'm curious about your curiosity. When did that start for you? Like, what do you trace that back to? Were you curious as a kid? What's the first time you remember being curious? Probably it's been just part of who I am my entire life and uh, wondering if I can do something or I have two brothers. So probably always, you know, trying to see if I can do the same things as fast as they're doing them or whatever. Um, but I remember when I did my first, when I signed up for my first road marathon, it was purely curiosity driven. And I just had seen all of these people do these road marathons an insane sounding distance. And I was curious if I could make it. Can I be a person who finishes a road marathon? And I didn't think I was. I was like, that's wild that people run 26.2 miles. My legs are going to shatter. There's no way I can get to that finish line, but I have to see. And when I did finish it, <clears throat> My legs didn't shatter. Nothing like crazy happened. I just finished. Um, it basically triggered this whole thing in me of what's another thing that sounds way too hard, that sounds kind of scary, 
that I have to try to see if I can be a person who does that. And it led me into the ultra running world where there's a zillion different distances available to test that very thing. And it's always been since getting into this sport, it's always been about what else is there? I'll finish a 50K or a 50 mile race or, you know, my first hundred mile race. And it's always been, okay, I, I did that. I finished it. I didn't think I could. So what's another thing I can try that I'm not sure I can make it to the finish line of? Mm-hmm. You were a very good, is it called Nordic skiing? What's the proper terminology here? Yeah, Sorry to no, be Nordic, Nordic skiing works or cross-country skiing. I was fortunate to decide with my group of cross-country running friends that we are going to join the ski team in the winter as a way to stay in shape. Uh, and it's just like a, it's a full body thing. So it was really cool to learn it and train it and learn the mental side of it so early on. And for sure, I learned uh, with cross-country skiing, I had a really fantastic coach who basically taught us that every time we felt like we were at our limit, when we've reached our maximum effort, there's one more gear. We have one more notch to turn the dial. We just have to crank it ourselves. That's the only way it will happen. And learning that so early on was, um, I mean, that's huge. I don't know how he even taught us that and how we believed it and would, you know, turn the dial one more because that's a hard lesson Mm -hmm. to learn. And when you're a kid and your body feels like you're working so hard, you know, it's, um, it's tough to believe that there's more in the tank there, but. He taught us that and that was huge. And for sure, I'm, you know, still using that. And all of my coaches growing up taught us that, um, basically the same thing that I still believe strongly today, where you can be working really, really, really hard at something and have fun at the same time. Mm. Like just because you're belly laughing doesn't mean that you're not working hard and that the intervals aren't you know, benefiting you. So those things can happen at the same time. No problem. That turning the dial thing is so interesting. And I'm just wondering if, if, if you can cast back and remember any more about like how he taught you to do that or how you, the first time you remember, you remember doing it. He just had a lot of belief in us. Mm. He believed strongly in, um, what we are capable of and his belief was way more than we were all believing in ourselves at the time. You know, he saw the -hmm. sky for us and we were thinking like, I'm just trying to stay upright on these skis right now, kind of a thing. And I think that was huge in it. Like if someone believes you have the potential for more, like that can be really powerful when you left teaching, you left teaching full-time in 2017. Correct. And you said, I think that you wanted to see like what could happen if you went all in. What did you imagine at that time? What were your expectations for what was going to happen next? I had no idea, but I knew that I would, I would, uh, always wonder if I didn't just try and I didn't want to have that wondering sitting with me, you know, Mm. when I'm 90 years old, reflecting on our life, my husband and I. And so uh, we went all in on it, but I didn't know if I would like it. I didn't know uh, what it would even look like. And I didn't have a job out of it at the time. Mm -hmm. Like I was just leaving a job to do this hobby this thing I loved full on to see, you know? So Mm -hmm. it felt very unknown when we did that, but it also felt like, why not? Like, Mm -hmm. why not try this for a little bit? There's always a way back to a more um, standard or normal (laughs) job. So let's 
take this risk now and see, and then we'll have known. We'll have scratched the itch and we won't wonder when we're 90. That's, I've heard you say that, that that time a few times too, the sort of perspective of like, I don't want to look back. Like most recently I've heard I, when I was listening to something, I remember you saying, you know, the things I'm going to remember is not necessarily the races I won or how fat the times I did them in. It's like going to be the shared moments and it's going to be seeing the places I've explored with my feet and like these beautiful vistas and these, these unbelievable places I've been able to check out. I, I think that's very beautiful to think, to zoom out, right. And to have that sort of um, long-term perspective. And I think it's a hard thing to have because I think we can so often just get lost in like what's six inches in front of our face. And I'm curious how you, how you understand yourself coming to that perspective. It's always been about, the shared moments and making those memories um, and not about the things and not about results mm-hmm. and none of that. But as far as like having those things become the most important, I mean, for sure, when we're younger and racing, for example, like you're running the mile in high school track, people ask you your time and your place immediately afterwards. And so you're taught and told that those are the things that you should value because those are the things that you're asked about right away. But I think um, when I started doing ultras, no one asked those things. Mm. And it was more about like, what's the stories from your adventure out there. You were out there for 24 hours. Like, tell me, you know, what went down and uh, more wanting the whole picture of like the experience and like, who, like, who'd you share miles with? Like, did you fall? Did you hallucinate? Love, you know, all of that. It was like, it was suddenly becoming clear that it is more about those things than anything else. And so, mm. I guess it would be when I started running ultras that those things started being like the most important and highly valued for, for me and for our life that we lead. Like Mm. we want to share the moments and make those memories to take along the way. That's great. I mean, yeah, that's the ultra community seems like such a, having such a refresh refreshing perspective in that way. Yeah. Are you going to um, sign up? Well, I, so I did, I did a, I mean, yes, you, I, I, I've done so much research on you this week and like, you can't listen to you talk without being like, I can do anything. So thank you for that. So yeah, I am. I did a 50 mile last year. Nice. Um, yeah. And had a great, great experience. So now I'm like, I, it's, it's exactly what you said. I don't want to compare in any way, shape or form, but it's that sense of, I can't run a marathon. And then I ran a marathon and then it's, I can't do 50 miles. And then you do 50 miles. And it's like, yeah. can I do hundred miles? And it just kind of is like a snowball rolling downhill. Oh um, my gosh. Let that ball roll. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, but asking about, you know, you said, and there are people always ask about what happened out there. What stories do you have? You did be- Big's Backyard Ultra and I heard you say that it changed your sense of time. So people don't know big back bigs backyard ultra is basically a four mile loop that you do every hour on the hour. And then there's no finish. It's basically like if you complete it in an hour and you are back on the starting line, the next hour, you just keep going until one person's left. Um, so I'm curious how that, how that I could see how that would change your warp, your sense of time, but I'm curious specifically how it did for you. It's an insane race format and it's, also so cool because it gives you the opportunity to surprise yourself with Mm. what you can do when you're only thinking of the next one hour time chunk. And in that next one hour time chunk, just that four mile loop. And that's all you think about is one hour at a time, one four mile loop at a time, which then when you're back at the camp, it's like, okay, I'll go back out. You know, I have one more in me. And you basically just keep thinking that, like I have one more in me. I think one of my first years there, there was a person who they told me they were hoping to run their first 
mm-hmm. marathon distance. And they ended up running like 60 or 70 miles or something like this because they just kept saying one more loop, like one more hour. And when it's a digestible part like that, we can, we can do a lot. So it's a cool format, but you definitely like lose all sense of time (laughs) and, um, definitely like, uh, Thinking outside of that one hour or that loop is impossible. Like what's going on in the world? I have no idea. Current events, no idea. You know, it's like <laughs> your world becomes really, really small because I think that um, chunking things or breaking things down into the digestible amount yep. that sounds doable right now, whether it's running or any task in life can be so helpful. And that one breaks it down for you, you know, like here's your tiny task that you have to do now in order to do the next task, which is leading you to this, you know, big overall thing you're trying to do. Yeah. Sometimes if, yeah, you think about climbing the whole wall, it's impossible, but if you can just get the next little section, yeah, you can do a lot. You often refer to asking your body when you're chis- when you're chiseling in the pain cave, you're asking your body for that physical motion to go with it. Um, and I've just been struck in the way you just the way you speak about asking for your body, not telling your body, right? We often think of the mind as sort of the CEO running, running the body. And it can be as you've shown so much that your mind can make your body do things that it may not believe it can do. Um, but I'm just that that really struck me that you always say I'm asking um, and made me think about that you know, how you think about that mind-body relationship um, and who's who's driving the show at what point. It's a team effort for sure. Yeah. There's uh, the brain, there's the legs, there's the heart, and then there's the people who are mm. also there helping. And like in its entirety, that's that's we. And we're going after this finish line and we're trying to do it as best we can. And all of the pieces are involved. So I for sure will uh, ask my legs and ask my feet to keep on pushing and give them some words of encouragement. And uh, sometimes I talk out loud to them. (laughs) (laughs) What do you say to your legs? Um, Like during Western States, the last 20 miles or so were really tough. And so I was just asking them to give me one more mile Mm. every single time, like chunking it up um, where that felt like an amount that I could think of and picture in the moment. So I would just ask them like, please legs, can you give me one more mile? And then they would. So then I'd ask them again. It's like the bigs thing. It's like chunking. One more hour, one more hour, one more mile. Exactly. Yeah. What happens when they say no? So that's when I would be digging in harder with my chisel, with my brain, mm. and um, maybe checking the filing cabinet for, you know, is this like, should I try calories? Should I try like easing the pace a little bit for a minute to get them back under me? Or should I just like, go into a positive mantra mode and, you know, take up all the brain space with thinking of this mantra instead of focusing on my legs feeling like they won't go anymore. Um, What are some of the mantras you use out there? My default one, the one I always go back to is, uh, this is fine. You're fine. Everything is fine. And I'll repeat that one over and over again. But um, also in races, I'll have ones just come to me based on the situation or just what's like resonating that day. So I think the one at Western States this summer was um, more like be brave, be patient, believe. Mm. And I repeated those three things over and over to myself. Um, And then at UTMB at mile 60, one of my legs just gave out. My body was done. My mantra for that was robot, robot, robot. All I kept saying to myself was robot. 
in hopes that my legs would remember like, you know how to do this motion, just be a robot for a little while and keep on swinging, basically. Just 40 miles of being a robot. Yeah. (laughs) Brushing your teeth at aid stations. I've seen you do that a lot. What does that do for you? There's something about the whole process at an aid station of just like being clean for a second that I really appreciate. So I'll do like a hand wipe and, you know, wipe my face even, and then a quick toothbrush scrubbing. Um, It's like a reset of like cleanliness and feeling a little human. Maybe you've been out in the wild for hours, who knows? Um, But I think also just that feeling in your mouth of like clean mint can be a big boost. You know, like how mint can suddenly make you feel more alert or Mm -hmm. whatever. But when it's then also combined with like your teeth don't feel like they're coated in sugar for a second, that I think that can feel really good. So I love to do it. They make those tiny little wisp toothbrushes that have the toothpaste already on them. So it's a really quick scrub and those can even come in my pack with me. Mm. I highly recommend it for your next ultra. Okay. Yeah. I mean, anything, yeah, I'll, I'll take you up on that. Are there other small <laughs> things you, you do that are like those like small wins that give you a burst when you need it? So that's a big one. And I would say, um, comfort in, you know, any clothing. So not having to think about or worry about, what I'm wearing because it's uncomfortable or it's riding up weird in my pack. Mm -hmm. Like the win is for sure having it just be, you don't have to think about it because it's exactly what you would want to wear anyways. Mm. And like keep all that mental space for problem solving. Yeah, exactly. You know, something I think about with, 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 as I started to run more, cause I, I really find it so joyful and, um, you know, I'm sort of like, I, I do it a fair amount and I've started to be like, you know, I don't want to do it. And I feel ridiculous saying this in front of you, but like, I don't want to do it enough where I'm going to get hurt and I lose it. Right. Um, and you know, so I always think about that. Like, how do I maintain a healthy relationship with this thing? I love so much such that I don't get to a point where I can't do it anymore. Um, you're obviously doing it at crazy high volume. So I'm curious how you think about that. Cause I have heard you say you want to do this as long as you can. Um, so I'm curious how you think about that, that balance. Yeah. I'm on the same page as you there for sure. Um, which was one of the things that I wondered about when I started doing it full time, will it take the joy out of it? Mm-hmm but it hasn't. I love it even more probably. And I guess for me, I keep joy in the front seat of the car. Like joy is driving the car. And if that's ever not true, then it will be like a full reassessment of what's going on. Um, Because I want it to stay fun and I want it to be something I do my entire life. And if joy is driving, then the things I'm doing along the route are going to be because I love them, because they're fun, because they bring me that joy. How will you, how will you know when it's like, what, what's the signal to you? Okay. We're getting away from joy. Joy's in the backseat. He used to be riding, he or she used to be riding shotgun. Now, now yeah. they're in the back. Yeah. I haven't experienced it. So I don't know firsthand yeah. what it will look like, but I'm guessing it will just feel like there will be a different feel about going running. It won't be, you know, excited and feeling like I can't wait to hit the Mm -hmm. trails today. It will feel consistently like, man, again, you know, and that's what I want to avoid. There's that story about you going temporarily blind uh, in one of your races. which is a rather remarkable story, which is, was it a hundred mile or 200 mile? It was a hundred mile race. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
And I know you've told that story a lot before. Basically, it was the last 10 miles where you you started to see a white light and then eventually you couldn't see anything except you're in front of your feet. Um, that story makes me want to ask you, like, when was the last time you panicked? Because if you didn't panic at that, it doesn't. you don't <laughs> seem like someone who probably panics that often. I don't think panic um, is useful in those moments that are panic-inducing. So I try not to. <laughs> but that's but unbelievable because that, sometimes it's all you, you know, panic sometimes happens and it's sort of, yeah, it speaks obviously to your mental strength, but it's just hard to fathom. Yeah. That situation was not ideal. And I like, I don't condone, yeah. you know, doing stuff that feels unsafe. I assessed the facts of that situation and felt like I can keep moving forward because I can see my toes. I know this trail doesn't go off any cliffs. I know there aren't intersecting trails where I'm going to, you know, end up lost in the wilderness. And I know there's an aid station Mm -hmm. four miles ahead or whatever. So it was like, all of these facts are telling me like my solution is to just keep moving forward as best I can with what I have. If that were, if I were to lose my vision again on a trail that I don't know, or, you know, a rocky like cliff trail, for sure, the situation assessment would be like, Oh, you are sitting right here in this spot until someone comes along and, you know, can help you walk out of here or whatever. You know, it was like a situational thing, but. In general, like panic is not in the filing cabinet. The filing <laughs> cabinet is uh, trying to prevent the panic. So it's like yeah. a concrete thing, imaginary concrete thing <laughs> I can go to to help make it so it's not a panic inducing situation. It's a fact assessing like what can I do about it thing. An imaginary concrete thing. I like that. Yeah. The the last thing I want to ask you is I just think, you know, this idea of you thinking you couldn't do a marathon and then you did it and then you were like, what can I, what else can I do? What else can I do? I think some people hear that and they, unfortunately, they just think like, I can't, like, I'm just not, I I do this all, like I talk to people about marathons all the time because marathoners. We love to talk about marathons. And I know I get the feedback from people. There's like, I'm not like that. I can't do it. No matter what I think, I can't do it. And so I just, if I could put you in sort of Courtney teacher mode or Courtney coach mode, like what would you say to someone like that to try to encourage them that, you know, like you can do more than you, you think you can, how would you express that to them? Um, that there's no harm in trying like, Trying something that's way too hard or sounds way too hard, whether you get it or not, is not the point. It's like we sign up for or we go after these things that um, are a few bars higher up than our level that feels comfortable. And then it's more about the journey of going after the thing. Like... Mm falling short of it, that's okay. I don't think uh, we should be scared to try things and fail. And that's usually what's keeping people from going after the thing that sounds too hard is like, what if I don't do it? But it's like, well, yeah. And so what? Like, that's fine. (laughs) You still got this whole experience of trying and then you can decide if you try again or not. You're building your filing cabinet. Yeah, exactly. Or whatever you want to do in life. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's a great place to end, I think. So um yeah. So much good stuff in there. Keep keep joy in the front seat. And uh Courtney's dad, if you're listening, make sure you get out there and uh, run an ultra with Courtney. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. No, you're the best. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you. I hope to share some trails with you someday. How stoked I would be to join Courtney on the trails someday. And I feel like I'm better equipped to do it now that I have so many of the folders that she keeps in her filing cabinet. 
If I had to put the highlights of that episode on an index card, I think I would need maybe more than one index card. But I think for me, it's the whole concept of not wanting to be 90 and wondering what if. And so going for big dreams and setting out to accomplish the hard things that you want to do. And then when you set out to do those things, just approaching it with an intensity, but also perhaps more importantly with joy and curiosity. I keep coming back to that question Courtney says of, what can we learn? Let's see what happens. And then when things do happen, you approach it with curiosity. They're not good. They're not bad. They're just things to figure out. It's that mantra she said, it's fine. You're fine. Everything is fine. There's no panic in the filing cabinet. We are just assessing the facts of the situation. And I think it explains at least part of Courtney's success, which is she goes to the start line. She decides, I'm going to pour it all out there. I'm going to accept whatever happens. And so often what happens is she wins. We are going to be having a lot more conversations like this. We're also going to be having more roundtables and the Coach Ups episode that I told you about at the top of the show. We have a lot of stuff coming. And the best way you can ensure that you don't miss any of it is just to subscribe to Farewell right now. And the other thing I'd ask, if you enjoyed this episode, please pass it on to one other person you think will also enjoy it and who will enjoy the type of topics we're covering here at The Growth Equation. That's it for now. A huge thank you to Courtney. If you want to hear more from her, you can find her at Courtney DeWalter on Instagram. Her You spell her name C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y-D-A-U-W-A-L-T-E-R. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Courtney. Thank you to you guys for listening. Thanks to the Growth Equation family, Brad Stahlberg, Steve Magnus, Chris Douglas, Nate Meckler, and John Summerford. I will talk to you guys again soon. Until then, as always, farewell. <laughs>